All right. So why would we do a series about heroes in the summer? You know, summer is kind of our time to relax a little bit, to kind of check out a life. You know, in Maine, we love our camps. We go to camps. We kind of unwind. We're trying to do anything we can to kind of take a step back. And as our minds do that, as, as we kind of drift through summer and we think about taking a break and relaxing a little bit, where we often find our minds going with, with movies is like the big summer blockbuster. Like somehow the intensity, the stress, the pressure helps us unwind and relax in, in our life afterwards. Uh, I, I don't know what it might be for you. I love superhero movies as a kid. Superman was my favorite. Uh, I know one of our, our ushers, he's sporting a Superman shirt. Uh, in years lately, they haven't done a great job with him, so I'm not going to talk about Superman much today. But maybe for you, it's a different superhero. Maybe a few summers ago, we had this blockbuster. Maybe, maybe Wonder Woman was your superhero. You just you fell in love. It was, it was an incredible movie, and she was good, and she defended the weak. And that scene on that battlefield in, in Germany was just one of the, the most incredible scenes in film history, and you, you absolutely love Wonder Woman. Maybe it's not Wonder Woman. Maybe it's a little more recent, and maybe it's, this is kind of our rally cry for volunteers. I mean, how could you talk about summer blockbusters without talking about this, right? We promise not to spoil the end game, although I had, I had thought about it, because if you haven't seen it yet, too bad for you. But, but uh, maybe it's, it's the Avengers. Maybe you, you love the Avengers end game or any of the Avengers movies, and they just kind of bring out this idea of who heroes are, right? They, just, they defend the world when it's at, at its uttermost point and brink of extinction and destruction. Maybe it's not the Avengers. Maybe it's something a little older. Maybe it's this guy. He's taken so many forms. In years, it's been the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Returns, and there was Batman versus Superman, or maybe, you know, you go back a little bit, and, and Michael Keaton still the Batman for you, and he'll always be the Batman. He is for me. Um, but, but wherever your mind goes, maybe it's not even superhero movies and blockbusters, but when we get this idea of, of somebody being heroic, of somebody stepping out and doing what needs to be done when no one else is doing it, maybe your mind doesn't even go to TV shows. Maybe your mind goes to something a little different, and, and not even movies. Maybe it goes to a series, and perhaps a new series or it's really not a new series, but it's a series that's released again. It's garnering a lot of buzz, and I know my family likes it. Maybe it's Stranger Things and Eleven is your hero. Whatever it might be, I mean, they keep getting better and better. And I know for us this summer, we were so excited for that to come out. But we all kind of, we all kind of love this idea of being heroic, don't we? Where the world's in trouble, where someone's in trouble, and it looks like the odds are stacked against them, and somebody kind of comes to the surface and defends the weak and does what's right and pushes the storm or pushes the enemy back. We love the idea of being heroic. <clears throat> but what's interesting is when, when somebody does something that's heroic, when, when, when somebody like kind of steps out of their shell and they do something that that perhaps is what nobody else has, has done, the, the response to them isn't always what, uh, the response back, rather, isn't always what we think it should be. When, when somebody steps out and they, does, they do something heroic, what we tend to find is, is how did you do that? Like, what made you do that? What, what, what forced you over that edge to, to do that incredible thing? It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm no, and then we kind of adopt the word, I'm no hero, right? I'm just, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just an average guy. I was just, you know, in, in, in the right place at the right time, and I, you know, I, I did, I guess, what everybody else would do. There, there's a guy a, a few years ago who did the same thing. This happened, you probably heard about this, uh, at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester when the explosion went off. There's a guy named Chris Parker. This is, this is Chris Parker. Looks like an average guy. Looks like a normal guy. He doesn't look a lot like Batman, doesn't look a lot like the Avengers, doesn't look anything like Wonder Woman. He's a normal guy. To be honest, he's a normal guy who's down on his luck. At this point in his life, he's homeless. He'd messed things up with his girlfriend and, and his son, and he had done some, some really kind of bad things, and he found himself on the street. And then the bomb goes off. 
and he hears an explosion, and he sees the flash, and he hears, he hears voices screaming. And as people are exiting and running out of the stadium, what does Chris do? Chris runs in, and he finds someone. He finds a lady, and he grabs her, and he drags her out. Unfortunately, she doesn't make it. That's not good enough for him. He hears more screams. He runs back in, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the violence, and he finds a girl who, who some, some piece of equipment had fell, fallen and hurt her legs, and she couldn't get out. And he picked her up, and he carried her to safety. And I'm sure in her mind, she was like, this guy is a hero. But when, when the Manchester Evening Gazette interviewed Chris, they actually took this photo and they said, Chris, like, how does it feel? How does it feel to be a hero? He answered them and he said this, I'm supposed to be a hero, but I am no hero. I'm just a normal guy, just a normal, regular guy who ran into the arena that night, all because I heard some kids screaming. And then he went on to say, I did what anyone else would do. So let me ask you a question. What is a hero? What does it mean to be a hero today? I don't know about you, but, but I hope being a hero is more than just finding these life or death situations and putting your, your life at risk. Although I, I, I do believe for those people who, who do do this, who, who are basically their job is to run into danger and put their life on the line, they are definitely heroic. But is that the definition of hero? Is that what it means to be a hero, to put your life on the line? Or, or could it be something more? The word hero comes from the, uh, a very interesting place. It comes from the Greek word demigod. Demi meaning partial or, or not full, kind of half of, like being half of a god. And I think it's really interesting that this is the word used to determine what a hero is. Really, that, that, that it's, it, it's somebody who, who doesn't have it all together. They're, they're not super strong or super intelligent or, you know, they're, they're like Bruce Wayne with, with this endless supply of money. They're just kind of normal guys who don't have it all together. Who in, in, in one situation decide to do something that not everybody else would do. But in that situation, by doing it, they kind of show God to somebody else in a very transcendent kind of way. Maybe perhaps it's like we're all demigods, not, not, not certainly not trying to be God. But maybe there's something in all of us that tries to do, be and do something more than who we are. And in that opportunity that I believe all of us will have an opportunity for, in that opportunity, we have the chance to show God to somebody in a transcendent, in a real way they would never see before. Taking all of our human baggage and becoming a little bit like God and showing the world what it means to be a hero. See, I would imagine that's exactly what the girl thinks when she thinks of Chris Parker. He might say, I'm a normal guy, I'm just an average guy. And she says, no, 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 you're, you're an angel. God intervened in your life to bring you here to make sure I made it out okay. You're a hero, Chris. And I think the same could be said of any one of us. Because I believe all of us will have an opportunity to be a hero for somebody else. You see, I believe that the definition, and this is the kind of the definition I kind of see in Chris Parker's life, is that in any moment of being a hero is this, is that heroes see what everyone else sees, but they choose to do what no one else does. A hero sees the world the way everybody else sees the world. They just decide to do something that nobody else is doing. This is like swimming against the current, right? This is, this is that kind of odd thing. This is that counterintuitive thing where they decide to do something nobody else does. When everybody's running out of the stadium, the hero runs into the stadium. They see everything everybody else is seeing. They don't see it differently. It's not like, hey, there's a green light, go. No, they see the same danger. They see the same warning. They see the same violence and horror. 
But something inside them says, I can't leave it that way. See, what I hope to discover and what I hope you discover today is really that the most unlikely people make the most likely heroes. That somebody sitting on the side of the road down on his luck feeling homeless really does make the most likely hero. And if you're feeling unlikely today, if you're feeling like an unlikely person, you're actually the person that God would like to use to make a likely hero out of. God could use you. You have the potential to become one. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some more specific applications of what it would look like for us to be a hero in someone else's life. But I felt like there's no other place for us to start than to kind of figure out what it looks like for an unlikely person to become this likely hero. We're going to look at a character from history. He's a very famous character in history. No matter what your faith background is, whether you've come to church or you've never been to church before in your life, you've probably heard of this man, Moses. Right? Tons of movies have been made of Adam. There's the Prince of Egypt, the Ten Commandments. Whether you go to church or not, we kind of know we're familiar with this guy, Moses. What's interesting about Moses is that he really was like an unlikely person that God would choose to do this, this incredible thing, to become a hero. You see, Moses, when, when his life, when his story kind of starts off, he was born into the nation of Israel. Israel, at this point, is being captive by the nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh gives a decree or a command to kill every boy or every firstborn child at the least. And in the midst of this horror, in the midst of children dying, Moses' mother becomes a hero herself. She takes her, her son, who's like on, on the block to be killed, she takes him and she hides him in a basket and puts him in a river and pushes him down the river. Moses' mother in her own right is a hero. He floats down the river in this basket and sure enough, somebody in Pharaoh's household, actually a direct family member of Pharaoh's household, finds Moses and brings Moses in, and gives Moses a place to stay, gives Moses a home. And this child who should have been killed under Pharaoh's decree is raised in Pharaoh's own palace. And when Moses was growing up, you can kind of imagine, like he had things against him, right? He was kind of unlikely. He didn't look like he kind of fit into the mix because he, he was an Israelite raised in this Egyptian household. He should have been killed under the Pharaoh's orders. But here, here he is, kind of living on the Pharaoh's dime, growing up with all of these things that, that he shouldn't have been entitled to, but he was because he was born or rather raised in the palace. One day, as Moses is older, I'm sure kind of feeling a little awkward, feeling like he doesn't fit into his own skin, into his own shoes, he sees one of the Israelites being mistreated, being persecuted by this Egyptian commander. And he, he can't take it. He has enough. And he walks over and he enters the altercation and, and in this, this horrible mishap, he ends up killing the general. And Moses, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of us in this situation, is immediately hit by fear of what's going to happen. And then he's hit by guilt. What did I do? Why did I do this? And, and, and then the next question that he has to answer is, what am I going to do now? And Moses does what I find really interesting, what I think a lot of us do when we're in trouble. He runs home. He runs home. And if you find yourself, like I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking, if you find yourself here, do, do, like back living at home, living in your parents' basement, li living with your parents, feeling like, like Jim, I, I can't do this. I'm no hero. I'm the most unlikely. Here's what you need to know. God, Moses moving back with his parents wasn't even enough for God not to use him. God still used Moses, even though he was in so much trouble, he had to move back and receive help. Moses runs home. We're going to read a portion of scripture to give you some context. We'll throw some of these on screen, but I thought as we start off, it would be fun for me to just kind of read it to you. Just listen to the story. Let me create you some context. <clears throat> So here's, here's where the story starts up. This is in Exodus 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. 
If you have your phone, you can open up the YouVersion Bible app. This is a great time to plug this. YouVersion Bible app, we use it across our staff. You should use it. It's a great way to read the Bible. They have incredible things, uh, reading plans, tools, every translation right in the palm of your hand. You can follow along uh, with that as well. This is Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, who was the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horah, the mountain of God. There was an angel of the Lord who appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw, though that the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, this is, this is a fascinating story, and kids have colored this in, in you know, Sunday school, and we've seen illustrations of this through movies and on cartoons. But for a moment, I want you to imagine coming across a bush or a tree that is on fire but not being consumed. I mean, Moses, really, he must have thought to himself, like, Man, maybe I'm, I'm on some kind of like opium-induced hallucination, right? Like, like, wife put in too many poppies in the bread this morning, cut back on the poppy seeds. Like, this is weird. Like, I'm tripping out. This, this shouldn't be what, what, what is happening right now. And Moses' response to the situation is, is, I think, a lot like ours. It's actually quite, quite humorous. I love his response. Moses thinks, hey, I'll go over. He actually says, I'll go over, and I will see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up. And in so doing this, Moses ends up having a conversation with God. God himself speaks to Moses through this burning bush. Verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. For a moment, let me just pause there and say, maybe this is where you relate. Maybe you woke up this morning and you found yourself paralyzed by fear or paralyzed by, by worry or doubt or paralyzed by depression. And, and you feel like you've cried out and you've prayed and you've prayed, but, 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 but God isn't hearing and God isn't listening. Here's what you need to know. And I believe this, that God hears every prayer. And just because he hasn't answered doesn't mean he's not going to answer. Just because you haven't seen the things come to pass that you would hope come to pass doesn't mean he's not working on it. I love his words to Moses. I think this is so encouraging. Moses, I've seen their frustration. I I, I have seen their misery. I've heard them cry out. I've heard their cries. I've heard all their prayers, Moses. And I'm concerned about their suffering. We have a God who sees what what we're dealing with, who hears our prayers, who's concerned about what we're going through. And even though it looks like he hasn't done anything, according to this story, he is on the cusp of doing something great. And perhaps for you, you've prayed and you've prayed and you're frustrated and you feel like God's not there. Don't give up. Maybe God is just about to do something big for you. He hears your prayers. He's concerned about what's going on. And he wants to bring a hero to change it. God continues in verse 10. He says, so now, Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I would imagine... When when this happens to Moses, he's just kind of overwhelmed by this situation and by this story. Like, this is incredible. I'm talking to God in a burning bush. This is amazing. I'm sure he he ends up telling all of his friends, because this is crazy, right? Like, this never happens. People see Moses coming from a mile away. Like, great, here it goes again. The story of the burning bush. Hey, guys, I got to tell you. Yeah, Moses, we already heard. No, but but I got to tell you just just one more time, because it's so unbelievable. All right, say it again. Yeah, you talk to God, this bush, it didn't burn up. That's amazing. And then what did God say? He told me to go. That's awesome, Moses. What are you going to do? And Moses, in this situation, talking to a bush on fire. Like, how amazing is that? And this bush tells him to go. And here's Moses' response. I love his response. He's like, no. (laughs) 
Like I know talking to a bush is crazy, but what this bush just told me to do is even crazier. No, I'm not going. He's like vehemently against it. No, absolutely not. You got the wrong guy. I'm not going. Not in this tunic, not in this robe, not in this stage. No, I'm not going. God, I don't know. Like, like I know this is amazing and this is miraculous. You're supposed to be all, all powerful and all knowing. But do you see where I am? I'm like down and out. I'm at the end of my rope. Like people aren't saying like, like he's in the prime of his life. I'm like at the bottom of my life. Nothing's going well for me. I ran away from home. I'm living in my dad's basement, eating Doritos, like, like playing World of Warcraft. God, there's nothing good about me. And then he begins to have this conversation with God that I think so many of us would have. When God asks us to do something that, that causes us to, to, to step out of our shell, to do something that even though everybody else sees the same situation, nobody else is doing. God asked Moses to go. And what I find really interesting, Moses gives a set of, of excuses, a set of four excuses to God of why he shouldn't go. And his excuses, although I, I think are, are really honest and genuine, I think they're comical, but, but I think for us, they hit really close to home in how we believe and how we live. But what's more amazing than even those excuses and how they line up with how all of us probably feel is God's response to those excuses and what God says to encourage Moses so that Moses would be willing to take that next step and be the hero that God knows that Moses can be. Because the truth is, God has very unlikely responses to our likely reasoning, to our likely excuses. You see, we're all unique. We're all one of a kind. We're all a snowflake, right? There's, there's never been one like us. There'll never be one again. But the truth is, when it comes to our reasoning, when it comes to what we're feeling, we are all very much the same. And we're all very much connected. And we all very much would have the same excuses that Moses would have. And our likely excuses, when they are presented to God, God has some very unlikely responses. So here's Moses' first excuse. I love this. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Right? Who am I? And I don't think this is an identity crisis. It's like he's flipping through his robe, looking for his wallet. Like, who am I again? Where do I live? Like, he's not looking for his ID or his license. This is like, like God, who am I? Do you see me? I'm no one. I, I'm in no position. I have, I have no authority. I can't do what you're asking me to do. Look at me, God. Who am I that I should do such a thing as this? Who am I, God? Mochus is all just focusing on his weaknesses, on who he's not. And I love God's response to this. It's so powerful. God says to Moses, excuse. God says, I will be with you. Moses, I, I know you're not all that. I see where you are. I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. I know exactly what's going on in your life. But this isn't about who you are. It's about who I am. I know you're weak, but give me an opportunity to be strong. I'll be with you. I'm not going to let you go alone. I'm not going to let you struggle through this. But Moses, looking at a situation, all Moses sees is this unlikely hero. All Moses sees is this unlikely person. And he says, God, I don't have the position. I don't have the position or the authority to do what you're asking me to do. I'm in no place to do this, to go to Pharaoh. If I go back there, they might kill me for what I did. See, but what I believe, and, and I think this is absolutely true for all of us, is that when God joins us, when God says he'll be with us, is that God's presence can overcome all of our imperfections. If regardless of your position, regardless of who you are or where you are or what you find yourself doing, God says, I'll be with you. And my presence overcomes all of your weaknesses. Moses didn't think he had the position. 
And then he goes on to his next excuse. All right, God, well, suppose. And I love this word, suppose. Moses says to God, suppose. Because God, I, I'm sure you've thought of a lot of things, but perhaps you haven't thought about this. Like, suppose, suppose I do this, God, and, and, and I know this may have slipped your mind. You've got a lot going on. A lot of people are, are praying. You know, they're sending emails up your way. Like, I'm sure you're busy, so you probably haven't thought about this one. Suppose I go back to the Israelites, and I think the Israelites because the Egyptians, no, they're like, I'm not going to the Egyptians. I can't muster the courage to go to the Egyptians. So let's just, let's take that off the table. Suppose I go back and I just talk to the Israelites, God. And we're just, this is all hypothetical. I'm not even saying I'm going to do it. Let's just say, suppose... I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And I'm sure in this moment talking to God, you know, he, he has this, this big acting chops. Like, suppose I go back, God, and suppose I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Suppose I do this, God. What if I do this? And then they ask me. And they ask me a simple question. This isn't a hard question. This isn't like, like a big theological question. This is just a very simple question. What is his name? God, then what do I tell him? I mean, God, I, like, like, this isn't even a theology question I can answer. I don't even know where to begin with this. If they ask me his name, what if I go back? I, I don't have the answers. I, I don't have the power, God. What do I do if they ask me? What is his name? What do I say? And God's response, this is, this is one of the best definitions of God, one of the best explanations of God I've ever heard. For the first time, God gives his people this attribute that he wants to be referred to by. And as his people, this isn't just the Israelites. This is now passed down to us. This is who God is. God answers the great question, who is God? God answers it himself and he says to Moses this, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now you read that and you're probably thinking the same thing I did. What? I am I am who I, like, that doesn't answer anything, God. What do you mean I am who I am? I am what? I am whatever you need me to be. I am exactly what you need me to be. I am a father to the fatherless. I am hope to the hopeless. I am encouragement for those who are down. I, I, I am <clears throat> I'm the, the, the freedom for those who are oppressed. I am joy for those who are mourning. I am, I am whatever you need. I am exactly that. I am all that I am, and I am that for you. What do you need this morning? I am that. What do you need tonight? I am that. What do they need? I'm that. They need freedom. I'm their freedom. They need a hero. I'm their hero. I am. That's all you have to tell them. The most powerful, the most brilliant, the best explanation of God you could ever have. I am. Whatever you need, I am. Whatever you're going through and you need an answer, I am. That's what you tell them. There's no question for that. Moses, completely overwhelmed. God, I don't have the, I don't have the position. God, I don't have the power. I don't have the power to do what you're asking me to do. God says, that's okay. Moses, I know that. But knowing I am is worth far more than knowing I'm not. Knowing the I am is worth far more than knowing that you're incapable. Knowing that you're weak. What about you? Do, do, I mean, do you focus on your strengths or your weaknesses? If you're anything like me, I, I tend to focus on my weaknesses. Like, I know what I am not. I know what I'm not incapable of. 
And God would say, hey, hey Moses, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it's wrong and it's dangerous to think highly of yourself, to think more of yourself than you are. But it's also exceptionally dangerous to think less of yourself than you are. I'm not using you because you have some incredible strength or you have some incredible position. I'm using you because in these things, I can be made perfect. Because with your lack of position and your lack of power, I am. Moses comes out with another excuse. In the midst of these incredible answers, Moses answers back, yeah, but God, what if they don't believe me? Which I'm sure is what we would say. What if they don't believe me, God? What if they don't even listen to me? What if they say, the Lord, he didn't really appear to you? And then God does something fascinating. And it's alarming to some, but he takes whatever's in Moses' hand. And he kind of looks at Moses and says, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses kind of looks down and a little bit, kind of almost stupidly, it's a staff. He's like, yeah, you're right. It's a staff. It's a piece of wood. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to take your staff and I want you to throw it down. And through this staff, over the next few years, God would explain and he would demonstrate and he would show the world his incredible power. Moses takes the staff. Yeah, God, it's a staff. Yeah, I know it is. Throw it down. He throws it down and the staff becomes a snake. And I don't know if, if this is you, but my guess is for some of you, you would see the snake and immediately run in the other direction as fast as your feet could carry you. Maybe that's the thing you fear the most, a snake. If it were me and God said, hey, Jim, throw that staff down, it would turn into a spider and I'd be out of here. It doesn't care how big it is, how hairy it is, how small it is. I'm gone. He throws it down and it becomes a snake, which is amazing. And then God tells Moses, now pick it up. And the story goes, that Moses leans down and he picks it up. But, but if it were me, there'd be a little more discourse. God, what's going to happen when I pick it up? Like that is a hairy spider. Or in most cases, that's a slime. Like, is it going to bite me? Is it going to fight? There's no discourse. God, this burning bush speaks to Moses. They pick it up. Moses leans down and he picks it up. And the snake becomes a staff again. It's God's way of saying, Moses, I know you don't have the power. I know you don't have the strength. I know you can't do this. But look what I can do through you. Moses, for whatever reason, felt like he didn't have the position. He felt like he didn't have the power. Seems like he's saying to God, God, I don't even have the skills. Right? I'm not a great leader. I'm not the out, out in front kind of person. I'm more of the behind the scenes kind of person. I don't have administrative skills. I, can't, I don't know that I have the skills to do this thing that you're asking me to do. And maybe you feel that way today, that you're not in a position, that you don't have the power, that you don't have the resources, or maybe that you don't even have the talent or the skills to do what's before you. But let me ask you a question. If God is not concerned with what I can't do, should I be? If God isn't concerned with what we can't do, should we be? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, I think the answer is no. He's not surprised. And he doesn't seem concerned by any of our inadequacies, by any of our weaknesses, by any of our limitations. They don't at all seem to concern him. Moses' next response is great. <clears throat> I love this. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Like, God, I, I don't know much about you, and I know, you know you're talking to me from a bush, which is amazing, and, but, but I need you to excuse me. If, if you're the kind of God that gets agitated, my, my worry is at this point you're a little agitated with me. So, so pardon me. Excuse your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. And I, I love that honesty because the truth is we know that, Moses. This isn't a great speech. This isn't one of those I have a dream speeches. Nobody's comparing this to the Gettysburg Address. Like, we know you're not eloquent. <clears throat> you don't even have... Uh, like a, a fast speech or a quick speech. 
Moses says, no, I am actually slow of speech and of tongue. I don't speak good, God. Don't use me. But God's response to him is incredible. He asks some very penetrating, very revealing questions. And when I read this, I kind of get the idea that God is a little agitated. Hey, Moses, have you seen what I've done? I'm burning a bush and not consuming it. I'm speaking to you audibly. I just turned your staff into a snake and then turned it back again. Moses asks God the question and God responds. The Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who is it that gives sight to people or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Am I not the one who gave you the mouth to speak with? Am I not the one who kind of put that, that voice, that tool inside your throat anyway? Didn't it all come from me, Moses? Now go, and I will help you, and I will teach you what to say. And Moses seems like he's saying, God, I don't have the position, I don't have the power, I don't have the skills, and I definitely don't have the words. And God is saying, I'm not surprised by any of that. I know you don't have the position. I know you don't have the power. I know you don't have the skills. I know you don't have the words. Here's the thing, Moses. These are reasons for me not to use you. This is the very reason I want to use you. Because in your weaknesses, I can be made strong. You see, the, the, the greatest thing about this, Moses, all of Moses' excuses, God's saying, hey, Moses, your weaknesses, they set the stage for God's strength. They set the stage for my strength. No one will know. No one will be able to believe that you've done this on your own. This sets the stage for all glory to come back to me. It sets the stage for me to present to the world that I am the God that loves them, that I am their father, that I am what I am for them. That's why I'm using you. I know you feel weak. I know you feel like you don't have skills. I know you feel like you don't have the position. I know you feel like you don't have the words to say, that you stammer and maybe you stutter and, and you're never good at giving speeches. But that's the very reason I want to use you. Because in your weakness... I am made strong and all glory comes back to me. See, the same thing is true of us. I believe that God is asking a lot of us, will you be willing to step up and step out and become a hero? See, but he's not asking you to become a hero because he's impressed with you. He's asking you to become a hero so he can put himself on display for the rest of the world and show them that he is for them whatever they need. Moses wraps up this incredible conversation with another, another excuse. But Moses says again, pardon your servant, Lord. Like one more time. Don't get angry, God. I know. Don't get angry. Pardon me one more time. Please, God, send someone else. Like you seem powerful enough that you can kind of look to and fro across the world, see everybody out there. Like right now our world's flat. Eventually, you know, it'll become round. But you can see everybody across the world. I know you can see all of them. Is it possible that you can find somebody else, God, who maybe has a little bit of the passion or a little bit of the leadership or a little bit of, of position or skills or power? Please, God, go find someone else. See, Moses didn't have the position, the power, the skills, or the words. But none of that was an obstacle for God. It's not an obstacle for God in choosing you either. God isn't asking you to step out to be a hero because of your position or your power or your skills, or your great skill at giving eloquent speeches. Those are, those are things that matter in the professional world. But for God, there's a secret ingredient that's missing. In God's economy, there's something different. You see, Moses didn't have any of those things, but Moses had something. He had something that God knew he could use. And the amazing thing is, it's something that you and I have as well. Moses was willing. And we can choose to be willing too. 
Moses was willing. And you can be willing too. Moses was available. God, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't do any of this on my own. I don't have anything going for me. I don't have any power. I have no armies. I'm not a magician. I don't know what to do. God says, I know, but all of that is what I can use to do what I want to do, to fulfill that call of you being the hero that I want you to be, of being the hero that I need you to be. See, I believe in all, for every single one of us, at some point in our lives, we're going to be asked to be a hero for someone else. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not like, go save the world like Moses had to do. Maybe it's not even, go run into that building to save some kids who are screaming. Maybe it's simple. Maybe it's something so simple for you, like, would you just smile to that person and say hello? Would you just talk to that person over there and have a conversation that nobody else is having a conversation with? Will you stop and talk to that homeless guy in the street? Would you donate six pounds of food to the food pantry when they're in need? I don't know what it might be for you, but I know that the opportunity will present itself for you to do something that nobody else is doing question is, when it comes, what are you going to do? Everyone sees the world the same. The difference in heroes is they're not content to leave it that way. Are you willing? Are you available? Are you willing and are you available? You see, when we close our fist to God and we say, God, no, not me, not ever, no way, don't use me. It seems that like God kind of moves on and says, okay, I'll go find someone else. I'll give someone else an opportunity to be the hero. I'll give someone else an opportunity to do something great. And if you feel like an unlikely hero today, you're more than likely someone that God is choosing to use to be a hero. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to write yourself off. I don't want you to say, I can't do it. I don't want you to say, I don't have any of these resources. I, I don't have the answers. Those are all excuses, but those are all things that God is looking to use to define a hero for you. It's awkward in sermons like this because we don't have a specific application. It's not going to send you home and I want you to do this, but, but here's, here's my hope, that over the next week you would say a simple prayer, a simple prayer that, that just kind of opens your life up to God. And maybe by doing it, you even open your hands, not if you're driving in a car, I don't recommend that, but just to open your hands and say a prayer, God, I'm here, I'm willing, I'm available. Would you use me? to make a difference, maybe to be a hero in someone else's life. And if that became part of your daily prayer, if all of us began to say that prayer, what couldn't God do with a bunch of people who are willing? We may not have a lot. We may not be in incredible positions. We may not have a lot of skill. But God says, that's exactly the person I'm looking for. Because heroes see what everyone else sees, but they're not content to leave it that way. As we're close today, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to pray for you. When I'm saying this prayer, I just want you to kind of open yourself up. God, I'm willing. Here's what's in my hand. Would you use me to make a difference? Would you use me to be a hero? You see, I think we can all agree the world needs more heroes. Maybe, just maybe, God's asking you to be one of them. Heavenly Father, I thank you this incredible story, God, for, for the story of Moses that is, is at times comical, God, but it hits so close to home. God, I, I thank you for each person here, God, and <clears throat> all of our excuses because they're honest and, and they're real and they're true. 
But God, I also thank you that you don't allow these things to inhibit us, that these aren't obstacles for you to use us. These are the very reasons you want to use us. And I pray for each person here that we would have the willingness to open our lives, to open our hearts and say, God, use me. I know I'm weak. I know I don't have the skills. I know I don't have the power, but God, use me. And I pray as they take that step of willingness to you, God, that you would open the door, that you, you would show them, God, where you want them to be used, that you would present that opportunity for them to be a hero and to make a difference in someone else's life. I thank you for every person, God, and I pray that the opportunity would present itself this week. In Jesus' name, amen.